Welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast, where we talk about all things writing and indie publishing. Today, we are excited to talk with Jameson Ridenauer and David Allen Voiles about writing for audio. Jameson Ridenauer is a writer and producer of the popular audio drama Palimpsest, the author of the werewolf murder mystery Barking Mad, and writer and director of the award-winning short horror films Corner Boys and The House of the Yaga. His ghost play, Grave Lullaby, was a finalist for the Kennedy Center's David Cohen Playwriting Award in 2012. Jamie's short fiction and poetry has appeared in Strange Horizons, Andromeda Spaceways Magazine, The Newer York, Across the Margins, Mirror Dance, and Architrave, among others, and has been podcast on Pseudopod, Cast of Wonders, and Radio Unbound. His newest play, Bloodbath, Victoria's Secret, premiered in October of 2021. Jamie has a PhD in Victorian Gothic fiction. In addition to publishing scholarly articles on Dickens, Le Fanu, and contemporary vampire film, he edited the Valancourt edition of Sheridan Le Fanu's Carmilla and wrote a book-length study of urban Gothic fiction in darkest London. He has taught writing and literature for over 20 years, currently at Warren Wilson College in Swannanoa, North Carolina. David Allen Voiles' collection of original horror short stories, The Thirteenth Day of Christmas and Tales from the Hearse, were those he told while conducting tours for his ghost tour company, Dark Ride Tours, in Asheville, North Carolina. Having taught literature for 30 years, Voiles is no stranger to weird tales and horror fiction in general. His lifelong obsession with Halloween ensured it was just a matter of time before he published his own tales of terror. In addition to publishing his stories in various anthologies, he is also the creator of the horror podcast, Dark Corners with David Allen Voiles. Welcome, both of you. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. We're glad Great to, to be, be here. here. Mm-hmm. And we, it's an extra special treat because the two of you, which I did not realize when I booked both of you, actually know each other. So Yeah, we, yeah, we hung out and talk, <laughs> talked about bears in our yard and all kind of stuff. <laughs> That's so great. I love yeah. that. Well, right. we're going to, I think we have the best episodes and we let folks who know each other and have a mutual interest take the reins. So we're just going to have a fun conversation tonight. So we're going to talk a little bit about writing for audio. Both of you have uh, written short stories and novels and Jamie also plays, it sounds like. And then you also are writing and producing you know, audio shows. And so let's talk about that a little bit and how you made that transition and what that's been like for you. Jamie, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, it was a pretty straightforward transition. Like it was a decision to do it. Uh, in 2017, I had a play called Terry Tempest, The Final Interview that ran in Asheville. And one of the actors in that play was Haley Henninger. Who, and, I, and she and I kind of hit it off. And we both at that time were listening to a podcast, an audio drama called Alice Isn't Dead by the writer of Night, Welcome to Night Vale. And Alice Isn't Dead is a horror podcast and it's a single writer and a single voice. And as I listened to it, I just thought that sounds like, I think I could do that. You know, like, like, like you do, like you think sometimes. And, and I thought, and I just mentioned it to Haley and whose response was, I've been listening to Alice Isn't Dead and I thought I would love to do an audio drama. So we decided to see if we could do that. And it turns out we could. So, so that's how it was a decision. We we're like, like, we're like, we've got a free summer where neither one of us were doing creative projects. Let's see if, if this becomes anything. 
And that was mm-hmm. five. We're, our five-year anniversary is in October. And can you tell us just a little bit about the podcast so the listeners have a frame of reference? Yeah, Palimpsest is a single-voiced horror podcast about memory, identity, and the things that haunt us. Each season is 10 episodes. Each season is a standalone story, but they all take place in the same house. And over the four seasons, and we're doing some standalone episodes now, it has built up a sort of mythology. So there are people and ideas and tropes that recur, but they're all in a different time period, a different place, but the same house. And which is fun as a writer. It means that I can, if I decided like we did for season three, I want to write something set during London and the Blitz. I just pick the house up and put it in London during the Blitz and write that story. Oh, wow. So you changed the location also. Yeah, it, it can. The house moves through time and space and we haven't explained that yet, but I but I know the answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I was dying to, to ask about that. I wanted to know because as a listener uh, of the podcast, I was intrigued, but did not realize it didn't put it together until the third season. And Jamie, you had a, a special Halloween live broadcast at one point. And you had Haley and I don't know who else was there. It seems like I, I recall maybe several other people. But you, it, to me, it was revealed at that time that the house was actually the same setting. I'd listened to two seasons before at that, I, that dawned on me. And I wondered if you prefer for people to discover that on their own. I was wondering if you were going to mention it, in fact, in the podcast. I didn't know if I should ask a question about that. But it's no, such a I, neat concept to have a house that's then the character in, a, in its own way, but totally different stories yeah. and the house can be in a different place. What, did you have that idea yeah. from the beginning? I didn't have it from the beginning, but but by season two, we, we did it. It was just easy to do that. And it seemed like a cool thing instead of having characters recur, I could do, you know, season two is about fairies and, and you know, it's like it's set in the 19th century and season three is in the London Blitz and season four is a slasher film. And, and it was... Mm fun to do that and then i get to layer things which is what the word palance says means anyway so that like people in later seasons find little pieces of evidence of the previous seasons which listeners see as easter eggs and allows us to kind of build over time this mythology so it it, after season two we as season two began we decided that's what we were going to do but like you many when we released that episode which is basically Jackie, a tour of the house, that Halloween episode is like, we're going to tour you through the house. We had a ton of messages from listeners who were like, oh my God, I had no idea it was the same house. And so now it's kind of out, I guess. <laughs> I love that though. Like that's, you know, you talk about places, character a lot, and that's actually what I'm mm-hmm. doing my critical thesis on in grad school at the moment, but in, you know, in speculative fiction, so an actual sentient character. And so I love that idea of you kind of picking the house up and just moving it around and making that a staple. Yeah, it's That's fun. Neat. Well, David, tell us a little bit about your journey into writing for audio and your podcast. Yeah, it's really an interesting thing. And I feel like I'm here to kind of make the uh, testimony that anybody can do it. Now, you may not do it well, like, and I can be the testimony for that too, but anybody can do that. But there are just a lot of different ways that you can come into this. And and my way was really unique. And then after I'd started and had the idea that I'd actually do a real podcast, I went to Jamie and we had a nice get together sitting outside. That might have been the beginning of uh, COVID. I don't remember, but we sat outside. That was right. That, you were the first person like to come to our house once the pandemic had started and we sat 
like eight feet apart around yeah, the fire pit. Yeah, and, we were sitting outside. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was, I had a cigar and it was a beautiful setting in, in Black Mountain where Jamie lives. And that was where I got a little bit more information to go like, well, maybe I can make this a podcast. But my, you know, my interest in Halloween was what really started it. We have Halloween themed parties. And one theme one year was idea of a like a podcast. <laughs> well, it was really crazy. It wasn't even that. It was more like going, we have scenes around the house and inside and outside. And then the, there's a little, it's times we've even taken people through a little path in the woods, but I created little scenes, but I thought it would be kind of cool, like in a museum where you have your ear pods and you, you know, click on the thing and you could have a story or a little bit of a background on it. I would have some kind of, uh, I wanted them to listen at their own pace to the scenes inside and outside the house as we also a party was going on, but they could just do that as the party, uh, as the party did go on. And so I used Podbean. I just wanted a place where people could use their phones. And I thought, well, if I can just record some little created, I mean, I made up some silly stories about the scenes, but it would just be fun for people to go and have that, those little episodes. And once I did it with Podbean, I realized, well, I could do this. And then Jackie, uh, our mutual friend, Jason Stokes, was uh, the person who originally got me started in publishing some of my short stories through Gestalt Media. And he said, you should definitely do the podcast. And he helped to sponsor it. And at that point, we were doing uh, Dark Corners on uh, Libsyn. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but that podcast. Uh, but you have to pay for that one. When Jason stopped and kind of shifted his focus away from print media and that and a little bit more to movie making and whatnot, I needed to switch. He was paying for it I did, and there was no reason for him to be doing that. So I switched to Anchor FM and use that now. But that was my idea. It's like, well, I'll just put some of the stories that I've done. And I started with short stories, as you said, like the because I have a couple of books of short story collections. But then that evolved into instead of having individual standalone stories, doing more like what Jamie has with Palimpsest of having a season of uh, 13 episodes of one story. And I did that first on the podcast and then decided well, I'll also put it out as a little book if anybody wants to have it as paperback or, or uh, ebook. And I, I think that's good. I've, I would love to, well, I don't know whether it's a good tactic or not. Here's another question for Jamie. The cool thing about the house being you know, what it is and Palimpsest is that now I want to, and I imagine other people do too, go back and listen to the previous episodes knowing like, hey, wait a minute, I want to listen for those and see if I can find those Easter eggs and see, or, you know, when I yeah. hear them later, it might be smarter. So I wondered, have you ever even played with the idea or have any desire to also put Palimpsest out in print or in an audio format that people could get an audio book? I've thought about doing... For a while, I had a literary agent, and we pitched a Palimpsest novel unsuccessfully for a while. That um, was basically just a re an expansion of season one, and it didn't really go. So, so I, would I, buy haven't, it. I haven't. Yeah, well, I, th I think some people would, but and I, I could self-publish it. But I, at that point, I was with an agent; and he was trying to get it with a you know traditional publishing. So that hasn't worked. I think. It, we're shorter than a novel. Like each episode is 2,500 words or so, right? So like 20 minutes is about 2,500 words and we're 10 episodes. So each season is 25 to 30,000 words. So it's not novel length. And I've thought about doing some tie-in stories, but one of the cool things about having the house like this is that I can, any horror story that I think of, if I want to put it in this house, then it becomes palimpsest. 
right? Because we're doing a series of this year, we took we took a year off of doing a full season and we're doing five standalone stories that are, you know, one's a disco era and one's in the 1950s and we can just do whatever we want to and just put it in the house. And so it's palimpsest. And so that's kind of fun. So I'm not sure. We have an agent right now that is shopping to larger media, who's shopping to TV. And we don't, but that's in the early stages and we don't know where that's going to go. So that's the only thing I've thought of it going beyond audio. That's cool. Yeah, it is, it's a real long shot, but, but just the, the idea is cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, and uh, confession time, I realized when I was just looking it back up, I wanted to remind myself about Palimpsest a little bit. And I realized I'm a season behind. I still, I haven't done season four. Okay. And you, and you mentioned it. So I guess it's not a spoiler to say it's kind of a slasher theme. Yeah. It's, um, it's set in 19, Is it, does it have moments of humor like slasher movies or is it very dark and, and consistently dark? I think we always have little moments of humor, but it's pretty damn dark. <laughs> it's, um, That's great. See, yes. It's season four is about a woman who owns a, um, a renovation company and is they're hired, they're contracted to renovate the house. The house is in this season is really run down and has been abandoned for 15 years. And she's hired to come in and, and fix it. And things go really badly for her. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how you plot out a series or a season of these shows and, and how that differs maybe from print are you writing them episodically or do you go ahead and map out the entire season in advance and then break it up? What does that look like? Yeah, I definitely write episodically, but I plan it all out too. So it's definitely set up for the length of an episode. I like to shoot for something around 20 to 20, 20 minutes is kind of a, with a little bit of range either way. And, uh, I definitely write with that in mind, but I have to, I'm a planner. I'm not a pantser. I have to plan it out and know where I'm going. Things can take a turn and that's great. And that happens. And I think it's wonderful, but I really need to know more or less what's going to be in each episode where I want to go. Uh, for example, the most recent season, which I kind of took some time off too. I had a computer die and then the switching over to another one, it just kind of seemed like, yeah. well, it's a good time to hold off for a bit. <laughs> but I, yeah. I did a, a series based actually on music that already existed. And in fact, I've done this twice now where Mambi Yulman is an ambient, dark ambient musician in Raleigh. And uh, I, I'd asked him originally if I could use his music just to do the short stories that I was doing. And he said, yes. And then I, after I uh, used it, uh, we communicated more and I realized what he ha already had in his body of work. And he had movies basically that had no dialogue or characters or visual. It was just the music that would go to a movie. But so a storyline in his head. And I, I listened to those and I said, could I, I love the idea of this. And I love the storyline that you put in about, you know, two paragraphs on your, on the Bandcamp page where the book, the album was. Could I make the story based on that? And he said, sure. Wraiths of the Appalachian is uh, the latest collection that's done like that. And I just took a character and used his same plot of where he had, which was episodic 13. Well, he had more than 13, but uh, 13 episodes that I made out of it. And I created a main character that would go visit these different sites where they would have supernatural events with some traditional 
figures in Appalachian lore, and then some that are newer, but they're cryptids and ghosts and features like the Bell Witch of Tennessee or Kentucky Goblins. So I'd have my character just on a road trip experiencing different things along the line. So I definitely wanted to know episode by episode what was going to happen. Leave the cliffhanger. You know, you need to have a cliffhanger to link to the next episode. So I definitely went about it in that way. I am... I've talked about this in other places, but I feel like I have learned so much about pacing from writing audio drama because, because our seasons are all self-contained stories. I've got 10 episodes. Each episode is roughly 2,500 words. So that means every 2,500 words, I've got to have a sort of mini cliffhanger. I've got to have something that makes readers or listeners want to come back and I've got to advance the big story, but I've got to have sort of a mini story so that it's like, a seems like a good conclusion for that episode. So I am in between a planner and a pantser. I usually have an idea of the overarching story. I kind of have a sense of how it's going to end. And the middle is pretty gray for me. So we usually start recording a season. We've usually got four or five of the 10 episodes written and recorded and we release every two weeks so that so four episodes gives me two months cushion <laughs> that i can keep writing and deciding what happens and we're pretty character driven so i do all the writing but um Haley, the actor that i work with we do a lot of just throwing out you know here's what i think is going on with this character and and she has ideas about what well this is why she's like this or this is why she says this and and so it's almost like it's almost like getting to work with your character. It's kind of fun that she just sits there and she is the character and she'll tell me sometimes, well, I, I really feel like she would say it this way. And she's always right. And so we switch it. And <laughs> um, so, so there's a development thing that goes there. And then once I have the character's voice, once I kind of get an idea of who they are and how they speak, then it rolls pretty naturally from there but but i get surprised sometimes you probably do too david i mean I'll, I'll get to places and i'll be like oh i had no idea that was going to happen but how cool that it did <laughs> yeah yeah that's neat well you that's a really neat thing that you have that's unique that i don't have is having another person to collaborate with and i've i've often wondered and i'd like to i think there's got to be pros and cons or two sides to this coin of having other people involved in your podcast. And it seems like in the first season you had multiple actors, yeah. but then clearly with COVID things changed. And I think that affected how you do things. How do you it, feel about doing podcasts now with multiple actors versus just Haley as a narrator? I would love to. Um, we, every season we've had one episode that has more than one that has other actors in it. It was only one episode in season one, but there was a party episode and there were people over at her house and we had them in there. Actually, that might be a lie. I don't know that there were other actors in season four, but usually we do one episode, but it's mainly her. And that's budget. That's, I can't afford to pay people. You know, we're doing an indie podcast in my basement and it's a passion project for both of us. So when I have actors on, I want to pay them. And so we save up for the one episode a season that we've got, that we've got extra people in, but I would like to do, you know, I've got, I've got two other audio dramas that are sort of in the, like I have a presis and a kind of a pitch package for them that have multiple characters, but I would need, that's something I need a budget for. Cause I really don't believe in having like 
you know, five main actors and nobody's getting paid. That just doesn't seem equitable. And Haley and I get paid occasionally, <laughs> but not often. <laughs> but I, t I will tell you, I, I love the restriction of, because I love working with unreliable narrators, having only one voice telling the story forces some some story, some narrative directions that wouldn't happen otherwise that I feel have has made are made us better because I have to, I can't, I have to write in first person. And so that creates a feeling and it creates a style and it also obscures some forms of narrative and makes some narrative questionable. And I really like that. So it's been kind of a, we kind of built our brand on that. That's yeah, that cool. kind of goes along with the other question that I had, which is, how much does your story change? So, you know, you write your script and then you start reading it and obviously you're then getting into the character's voice or you're hearing someone else and you're hearing the flow of what it sounds like audibly. Do you then ever do any rewrites? Just being like, okay, that didn't, that didn't sound right. Now that I'm in this character's head and I'm recording this, it would flow better this way. How much do, do things shift? I don't know. What do you do, David? Yeah, I, mine's pretty much set once by the time I'm kind of committed to once I'm at the point of recording. So things have not changed. I would say that my stories too, even, well, it's kind of funny to say, I would to say that they're character driven. I feel like they are, but actually I have to have the situation first. I have to have the, the like in the race story that I was telling you about, they, there have to be places that he's going to go. But the main thing that's important is the story of that central character. And if I may, I can share one of the things I like about that story the most is that his sidekick in the story is a dog, is a phantom dog who doesn't speak. It's just supernatural, but it helps develop the narrator's character. It helps bring out some things that happen in the narrator's past, his father who's deceased, his mother and the problem that she has, his girlfriend that he's just separated from uh, for who doesn't know why he needs to take this road trip. But so it's all about the character and like everything it's the you know the hero's journey it's he's got to find out about himself as he does this and this the incidents are going to be driving that but to go back to your question i know that that's where that's going even though some other things may happen so i haven't to date anyway gotten to a point where i went i've got to go back and change that it didn't sound right it didn't come across right of course for me it's just my voice and i'm going to be narrating anyway with jamie it might be different when he hears how Haley might have read something and interpreted or how it was for her. So I don't know if it's a little different for you or not, Jamie. It's only small things that get changed. I love working and I do a lot of playwriting as well. And, and I, I really love working with actors because, because you can find unexpected things in, in your own writing. I mean, actors very often will, you know, they'll read a line and it's, you know, that's not at all how I heard it in my head. The emphasis is, is different or it shifts somehow. Very, very often, I would say, you know, 80% of the time, it's better, like the actor's instinct. And I'm like, wow, that's a really cool line that I wrote. I never knew it sounded <laughs> like that. And once I get the character's voice, I know I've worked, again, we're five years in, so I know Haley really well, and I know what she can do and what she sounds like. But there's different, you know, the characters have different speech patterns and whatever. So occasionally, we'll be in a recording session, and she'll say, you know, this just doesn't feel right i just I, or it sounds wrong when she says it or you know we've got some great bloopers where just like for whatever reason she can't say this line or this word is going to trip her up and i'll and i rewrite it on the fly I'm like well you know say this instead because 
we're running out of time. <laughs> we got to move forward. Yeah. I've never changed anything major. Occasionally we'll change, change out a word or we'll rewrite a line because it just feels awkward when you hear it out. Neat. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about sound because obviously with podcasts, that's the most unique thing is that you're hearing something and you're hearing a narrative. When I started, I had some feedback from different people. Some people wanted to hear or appreciated the uh, ambient music. And other people said, no, you just need the voice. And I know podcasts for, for narrating stories do it both ways. There are some people who have very little ambient noise at all. And I wondered now, and we both have interesting music connections. I've told you yeah. about Mamba Yulman and that, that actually started things. But Jamie's got a very unique uh, musical connection, his own music as well as his son's music. What is the role for music and ambient music as background? How does it play in your podcast? I don't think it's, it's not as, um, we do it sort of reverse from how you do it. Like I'm really, I really love the, that you like take music and are like, I'm going to take this music and I'm going to make it into the story. Whereas we do it the opposite. My son is our composer, you know, at the beginning of each season, I'll, I'll message him and I'll be like, we're set in 1992. Can you take our theme song and make it sound like counting crows played it? And then he always somehow works it out to, <laughs> to make it work like that. And then I've got a lot of atmospheric music pieces that he's given me over time. And occasionally he'll, I'll say, you know, I need something else. I need to feel like this. And, and he'll give it to me. We do a lot of ambient sound effects. I mean, in five years, I've just gotten better at the sound design because I do all the sound design. And so I feel like I've gotten better at having the right atmospheric sound effects and having it feel a certain way that we couldn't do in season one. But what we do that is different than the new David is um, I have a framing narrative there's a reason why you're hearing it each. Um, like the first season, she's narrating it into a phone because her therapist has moved out of town and she's giving notes to her therapist. And the second season, she's confessing to a priest. And the third season is all letters that she's writing. So we have a pencil on paper sound effect that's there a lot. And the third, the fourth season, she's actually doing notes into a tape recorder on the, you know, we're going to renovate this house. I'm going to give notes on the, what we're doing for the house. And so there's sort of a, each of those controls, like if she's got a tape recorder in her hand, then we're going to hear the house. Whereas when she was doing the confession to the priest, we didn't hear many of those sound effects because she's not actually in the space that's happening. She's recounting it after the fact. And so I try and think about those kinds of things. But basically, I just ask Ian to write stuff for me and he gives it to me. <laughs> Right. So um, it's more atmospheric. You don't, if there's a gunshot yeah. mission mentioned, you don't have to have a gunshot because I don't, she's I usually don't. relating that. She's used to relating it. And sometimes I'll have it. I mean, it just depends on what we're doing, but yeah, I, I don't usually, she's just telling you like the gunshots in season three are in, uh, she's writing letters about it. So it's after the fact she's writing it down. And so I don't, I'd have atmospheric music for mood, but I don't have a lot of you're hearing what's happening as it happens. But then I did in season four because she's assumedly has a tape recorder in her hand. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a cool device. That's really is neat. But there, and there is a question about, to me, I have to think sometimes like, is it overdoing it? How many things do they need to hear? How, mm -hmm. when does it add? When does it detract? And so that's still kind of a growing, I mean, that's something I have to learn as I'm going along. And, and it's kind of a, 
it's just a, a playing I'm playing as I'm going anyway. So uh, it, it's an interesting experience, but I don't know the answer to that yet. I don't know what's too much and what's too little. It feels like a crapshoot for me too. I mean, I feel like you're, there are times when I'm just like, I'm listening back and I'm like, God, it feels like she's talked a really long time without any kind of sound effects. What should I put in here? <laughs> Which is, doesn't feel like like the most creative way to do it, but but it just but yeah. But you feel like like well, we've gone three minutes without any sound, but her voice. I should something should happen, shouldn't it? It's not that different from novel or short story writing, is you can't just have it all be dialogue. You've right. Kind of right. You got to back and and give us a visual, and so that's kind of the way to do that in audio. That's, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I'm sure you like like we do. You know, you get feedback, and some people. You'll do the same thing and some people will love it and some people will hate it. I have, you know, when one day during season two, we had somebody give us like a one star review and say that our sound design was horrible and what uh, sophomoric they said. And the same day I had somebody say how much they enjoy like the minimalist sound design is what makes this a great podcast. And I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you just do it and hope people like it. That's, that's the way of a creative, right? Yeah. I have one character in my books that people either love or hate. Mm -hmm. They're the favorite or the least favorite. Which is great. What you don't want is is a mediocre response, right? You just don't want them to go, eh. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's very true. Well, you mentioned the learning curve a little bit. And since we may have some folks listening who might like to try uh, their hand at this writing for audio, you know, what are the biggest things that you've learned that you would pass on to someone else if, if they were going to give this a shot? Uh, David, you want to kick us off? Yeah, I guess be prepared for things, for technical problems that you may not have anticipated. Of course, I have the luxury of, of you know, I, I set my own time frame, so I'm not, you know, if something gets delayed, it's not a big deal. But, uh, you know, you need a place to record and you need some equipment that record, but it doesn't have to be a, a whole deluxe studio. It's probably better if you do have one. But I've had setbacks where I've had to been recording and because I'm not, I don't have a professional studio. I was started out in the room I'm in right now, just hoping that everything would be quiet at the time when I wanted to record, then start having a little bit of feedback. And I couldn't figure out what that was from. So I literally often now go with a little field recorder and take its little Tascam recorder. It's inexpensive, really, but it works really well. But I take it into my bedroom closet. <laughs> And with the clothes, you know, on each side, it makes a nice muffled sound. That's the best place in the world to record. But it took a while to get to that point. And uh, but it's still not professional, but not to worry about. I have to have the deluxe set and studio before I can record. You really can create somewhere if you just create the space. Of course, the better you have, the better it is. And Jamie, I guess you've gone on a path. I mean, you now have developed a studio in your home, but I don't think that's how you started out, was it? No, we were just in the basement. And I was lucky, again, my son is a musician, so we had a nice microphone, we had an interface, but it was just the, the basement. So yeah, I'm. this is our studio that I'm in right now, in the new house I've moved since you came at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, we have baffles on the wall to kind of mute the sound in the corner there where Haley records. But yeah, you can um, know your software, and there's free software you can get. We We pay for hours, but we didn't when we began, we worked up to that because there are all kinds of, you can filter and you can EQ and you, you can make stuff sound good. And there is also a lot of audio dramas do this. You can write for your sound. So if you don't have a super professional sound quality, then 
you know, write a story where they're talking on their cell phone. That's one of the reasons why she recorded to her cell phone in our first season is because I was still wasn't sure what I was doing sound wise. And any, you know, crappy sound can be explained by the fact that it's crappy sound, right? <laughs> so you can, you know, right, you can, right, you can yeah. write that into the story if you want to, but it's, it's really That's easy. Brilliant. It's really easy to sound really good. You don't have to spend a lot of money to get, you know, a, a halfway decent microphone and you can get USB microphones that just plug right into your computer. And if you, you know, use the free, uh, what's it called? Audacity. Audacity. Oh, yeah, Audacity. Audacity. Yeah. I used Audacity. Audacity well, is the one you pay for. I pay and pay for that one. Uh, no, it's free. Uh, or let me make sure. Oh, okay. I'm the yeah, right I think Adobe Audition. Yeah. Yeah. is free. Audition is Adobe. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Not free. Well, whichever one. There's a free the version and, and a paid version. You can still version. make some layer. Right. right. Yeah. We'll put links in the show notes for everyone. Yeah, do that. And I'm still yeah. discovering, like, like the last this last standalone episode we did, we actually just did our first episode that Haley wrote. So it was kind of cool to have another writer working. But I discovered this whole new, like, area of, uh, filters reverb filters that i didn't know were there and and so like i was like a it was like christmas i was like went in and i was like oh i can make it sound really cool now. <laughs> so i'm still Good learning choice. that but, yeah. but you know know your software and write to your strengths and you know you can make it sound pretty good yeah that's about all the advice i have and i don't feel like i'm really in a place to give great advice other than my testament is that i don't know much about these things and just try to do it and i can post something and it's there what I lack and what I had gone to Jamie about before, but I still haven't really followed up to push it long enough, just like publishing the books is marketing. That's is very similar challenge is that how do you get people to find you? How do you get people to hear you? And, and Jamie's been very, I think, very successful at that with Palimpsest. And he may have some advice about, about that. I, I have none to give. I mean, we figure it out as we go. We have a, not even a strong social media presence, but we do, you know, we do, we do Instagram and Twitter. I'm really good at Instagram. Haley's really, I mean, I'm really good at Twitter and Haley's really good at Instagram. So we know those are our strengths. So we play to those and it's mainly been word of mouth. We tried, we had an advertiser one season. And so we had got a little money come in and we bought some ads in various media, none of which seemed to affect our downloads at all. So I won't do that again. But it's mainly word of mouth. Uh, just like anything, you do, you know, send out press releases. And a lot of people are going to ignore it, but some people might pick it up. And once we finished a season, like our first season, nobody, you know, my mom listened. And that was about it. And then when, once we had a complete season, we sent that to reviewers. And we got two really positive national reviews in uh like uh, discover pods interviewed us and did a review and then uh ellie fernandez collins did a, a really nice review and those two reviews like the difference between our downloads in season one and downloads in season two was like night and day like it, it just exploded at that point and then it feed starts feeding on itself and people start listening so we don't, haven't done any formal marketing it's just the two of us and we both have full-time jobs and we're both you know haley has got a toddler at home and so we're not doing a lot of marketing <laughs> we're lucky we mm -hmm. get the podcast mm -hmm. out <laughs> well, again seems like a lot of you know most of our listeners are indie writers and so they'll yeah they'll resonate with a lot of that that uh that's right it's just kinda... yep, we're all in the same boat i mean it is the yep. same boat 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. So it's such a treat to have you both here. And let's give our listeners a chance to hear your podcast. So let's start with Palimpsest, mm-hmm. and then we'll take a listen to Dark Corners. Okay, here's what happened. The gun leapt up in my hand. I remember that very clearly. It moved by itself and lifted my hand up and back. It almost hit me in the face, but my whole body was moving with it. I stumbled, but I didn't fall. A flower grew in the center of Claire's chest. Red petals that bloomed impossibly fast. Her face never changed. Her eyes were still wide and staring back at me. Her mouth was still shaped around my name. She started to fall. There was so much blood. I don't know how a body that small could hold that much blood, but it was everywhere. The whole room seemed to be awash in blood. I had dropped the gun somehow. It was lying there on the floor, in the blood, and something released inside of me, and I ran. I didn't know where I was going. I just ran. I couldn't hear our mother yelling, crashing down the stairs, but I met her at the bedroom door, and I looked up into her face. She was looking over my shoulder into the room. She was about to start screaming, but she hadn't yet, and I didn't want to look. I didn't want to follow her gaze, but I couldn't stop myself. I don't remember seeing Claire's body, and I suppose that's some sort of blessing. All I saw were the footprints. My own footprints, my eight-year-old feet, tracking my sister's blood across the hardwood floor of my parents' bedroom. It was hours and hours before anyone thought to look at my feet. By that time, the, by that time, the blood had dried to a thick, rusty brown. It took a long time to wash it off. You know, sometimes it feels like I never did. Anyway, I hope this is what you wanted. I hope you believe me. I told you I knew when she died, how she died. I've never forgotten. I've never denied it. I've never forgotten the hours and days afterward. The irrelevant ambulance. The police. The time I spent answering questions from a young social worker who tried her best to hide her horror. She couldn't. We both knew I had killed Claire. And I've never forgotten the funeral. I stood next to the grave, off to the side. I was near my parents, but not right with them. They stood a few feet away, holding Jackson's hand. I don't think Dad ever looked directly at me again. It's not his fault. But then I felt someone take my hand. I looked away from where they were lowering the casket. I expected it to be one of my classmates. The whole school was there, it felt like. But it wasn't. It was Claire. 
She was wearing the same clothes, the same little chocolate stain on her collar. Her hair was moving a little in the breeze, and she was smiling. That stunning Claire smile. Her hand felt so warm in mine. She said, Don't cry, Lise. I'll take care of you. You know I'd never leave you. And she never did. <sighs> Dead is just a word. It doesn't mean anything. Okay, this excerpt is from episode 6 of Wraiths of the Appalachian. And in this chapter, Eddie and his road-traveling companion, a phantom wolf dog named Snarly Yow, and that's another real bit of Appalachian cryptid folklore, you should definitely Google it, find themselves in the famed Bell Witch Cave. A mysterious old woman at the strangely abandoned Tennessee tourist attraction had just told Eddie where to find the entrance to the cave. Eddie and Snarly Yow find the gate unlocked and open and they worked their way into the wet darkness with only a flashlight to guide them. Eddie shined his light around his surroundings and marveled at the natural haunting beauty of the cave. The knobby white growths protruding up from the cave floor and on ledges of the walls formed by the slow dripping of mineral deposits looked like ghosts, faceless heads and shoulders rising eerily from a soupy bog. Over the course of the cave's centuries-long existence, the water had left no sharp edges on the large rock formations. Eddie felt like he was walking in a museum of surreal and expressionistic sculptures and wished that he had searched for the master switch that would have turned on all the lights so that he could get the full effect rather than seeing only what the singular beam of light revealed. I suppose I should be grateful to be getting my own free tour, even if it is unfortunately self-guided. A loud clanging that came from behind Eddie made him jump. He followed the sound back through the entrance tunnel to find that the gate had slammed shut. He pushed it, but it did not open. He and Snarly were locked in. Hey, anybody out there? My dog and I are in here. Can you let us out? No answer. Hello? We're locked in. Can somebody please let us out? Silence. Eddie shook the gate violently and yelled again for help, but it held strong with no answer from outside. Damn it! Should have put a rock or something here to hold the gate open. At least that might have let people know that someone was in here. He squatted in front of Snarly and rubbed the wolf dog's face and ears. Well, if I gotta be trapped in a creepy cave, I'm glad you got trapped in here with me. A high-pitched giggle echoed from the depths of the cave behind them along with the pattering of small, bare feet. Snarly gave a quick huff and darted into the darkness of the tunnel back toward the large chamber they had just left. Snarly, no! Come back, boy! The sound of the wolf dog's paws diminished until Eddie couldn't hear anything but his own breathing. Eddie jogged through the tunnel, splashing in the stream as he made his way back into the chamber. He frantically directed the beam of his light around the room but saw no sign of the dog. Another tunnel led out of the chamber on the far side, and Eddie sighed as he realized that he would have to see where it led. A smothering anxiety wrapped itself around Eddie as the walls of the tunnel narrowed, forcing him at one point to turn sideways to squeeze through in order to make progress. He wished he'd thought to bring his lantern since that would have thrown more light around him. As it was, 
He could only see what the beam illuminated, leaving him to imagine all sorts of spiders and bugs dropping on him from the damp walls and ceiling. Finally, the passage opened again, and he found himself in another large chamber. Snarly? Nothing. Only the sound of dripping water falling into an invisible pool somewhere in the darkness. Eddie slowly searched the room with his light and sensed a large shape looming to his left. Darting his light at it, he saw a frozen, devilish face grinning at him, mocking him. The carved rock sat atop a large boulder that resembled, with a slight push of imagination, an oversized torso. As Eddie studied it closer, he imagined that tour guides might refer to the sharp jutting chin and narrow eyes as an image of the Bell Witch herself. Whoever she might have been, Eddie thought, somebody had to have carved it. That couldn't have happened naturally, could it? A slow search of the rest of the room revealed an odd placement of rocks that vaguely suggested an open rectangular box. As Eddie approached, he saw that something lay within the border of stones. When he got closer, his scalp tingled as he realized that the arrangement contained human bones. They nearly filled the space within the stone box, but Eddie could tell that this once must have been a grave made for a child. But why is it above ground? And why not make a real casket, even a wooden one? As Eddie studied the bones a bit closer, his flashlight flicked off and he was thrown into darkness blacker than anything he had ever known. He hit the flashlight against the heel of his hand, but it would not come back on. Trying not to think about where he was or what was right beside him, Eddie sat down on the cold clay floor and fumbled in the pockets of his jacket for more batteries. He removed the two batteries that had been in the light and put them on the ground beside him so as not to confuse them with the new ones. It wasn't hard to make the change in the dark, he'd replaced them so many times before, but his hands trembled so that he dropped one of the fresh batteries and then knocked it away as he fumbled trying to catch it. Christ's sake, get a hold of yourself, he thought as he searched the immediate area on his hands and knees. I've got to have two batteries for this to work. He gripped the flashlight with one hand and patted the ground in front of him with the other. The hard clay felt muddy and he knew he would be a nasty mess when he finally got out of the cave. If I ever get out of the cave. Something gripped his outstretched hand. Eddie gasped and yanked his hand back. Such a handsome boy. And Eddie felt the soft breath on his ear. <laughs> so we always do like to ask one final question with our authors, and I think that it'll be really useful for this as well. Are there any resources that you've turned to, any books, any websites, any other audio dramas that you listened to when you were learning that we could point out to to anyone who might be interested? I can tell you just a favorite of mine that I don't really have any resource. I went to Jamie. We had that uh, very nice meeting. Jamie's and he told me a few things. He's just a resource, but God I will you. say that I, another, another, well, here's Jamie's another porch and home address. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it, the, uh, 
another local podcast I just liked a whole lot was Old Gods of Appalachia. And it was also originally from Asheville. I don't think the creators are here anymore, but I love that podcast and definitely recommend it to people to listen to. And again, it's generally one narrative voice, but like like uh, uh, Jamie's, it's it sometimes brings in other characters too. So I'd recommend that one. He's still in, Steve's still in Asheville. He's still in is the he? area. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, his partner is in Tennessee, I think, the other creative in the in the group, but he's still here. Right. Oh, okay. That's good to know. It sounded like they yeah. were about to take off and they were maybe talking movie deals and all kinds of things. So I yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that's worked. I, yeah, I talked to him I, recently. I don't know how that's working out. I don't know if that stuff is happening or not, but he's um he's still in the, in town. Had, did Palimpsest had already started before Old Gods? Is that correct? Yes, we had. We launched in 2017. Yeah, so we're oh, yeah. we will okay. we've been, we've done it five years, and we will do we're doing a bunch of we're doing several live shows in October to celebrate the five year anniversary, and then we'll have a fifth season coming out next year. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So, but, yeah, okay, only, so what are your resources? What? Yeah, yeah. the only resources. The I, yeah, I mean, I think. Well, I mean, it's self-serving. I'm teaching a class in writing audio drama through Great Smokies Writers Program starting in October. So there's oh. that. Oh. But the best resources, I think, are for me was Twitter. The audio drama community, the indie audio drama community is really welcoming, really open, and really supportive. And I think the there are writers and critics who are part of that. Uh, like Will Williams and Ellie Fernandez Collins and um, some other writers. And then there are the people that make shows, even some of the bigger shows are really gracious and really willing to not only give you advice, but also cross support and cross promote, which is really great. And so like two of my favorite podcasts ever are British podcasts, Wooden Overcoats. And, Wooden Overcoats. Uh, I knew you and Victoriosity, which are both just brilliant and relatively big. And when we needed extra, when we needed extra British voices at the end of our London Blitz season, I wrote to the stars of those two. <laughs> just like, I was like, well, you know, I'm a fan. Do you want to be on my podcast? And both of them were like big fans of Palimpsest and, and came and did it. And it was really cool. And I think that kind of connection is pretty great and pretty easy to find in the indie audio drama world. They're very supportive. That's cool. That's yeah. very cool. I know on Twitter, there are definitely some hashtags for indie writers. Is there anything that anyone could look up that's, that's used commonly if they wanted to connect with that world? on For Twitter? a while, it was audio drama Sunday, like hashtag audio drama Sunday. They don't do that as much anymore, but any kind of audio drama hashtag, you know, follow your favorite shows and use social media the you know the right way instead of using it as i'm going to do nothing but promote my work go on and actually talk to people promote other people and then the community will happen on its own i think it's been they've been very supportive Absolutely. of us yeah and that, that goes for for authors as well i yeah. think learning you know making sure figuring out what your voice is making yeah sure you're not just yeah, putting marketing posts up there or people quickly tire of you. Yeah, that's the, the only people I, I auto block on Twitter are people that are like, I look at their feed and it's nothing but when their book's coming out. And yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't sell books. No, 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 know, no, no. It, it doesn't. Telling them what you're doing and what you're working on and, and your thought process is going to be a lot more yeah. influential. Wow. Well, this was really fun. Um, yeah, thank you. 
Yeah. So before we take off, can you both just let everyone know what you're working on next and how to keep up with your work, both the audio dramas and any anything that you've written and, you know, the best channels to follow you? Instagram and Twitter. We are Palimpsest Podcast on I'm almost certain we're Palimpsest Podcast on Instagram and we're Palimpsest Pod on Twitter. Nice. And we will link to all this. In yeah. The show notes, so. And, and I'm, that's what I'm working on right now. I mean, I, I am, uh, we are in the middle of, uh, we're getting ready for this fifth anniversary. So I'm writing a multi-voiced fifth anniversary episode that'll be released in, on Halloween. So there'll be five actors in that. And then we are doing three live shows in October. And the one in Asheville is going to be the opening of the Catfly Film Festival on October 6th. We're going to do a live show. To, to open that and then we're doing one at the columbia museum of art in south carolina and one in georgia so we're oh, we kinda, should go david we're kind of stoked yeah, yeah please that, come that, absolutely it seems like a date that's a, yeah definitely do that, that. please fun. come that'll be great yeah so that's what we're up to now that's great that's cool how fun yeah well I, the next project for me i can't decide exactly how i want to release it my original thought was as 13 episodes for the podcast that's my standard thing and the storyline I have worked out, I haven't written the episodes, but the storyline I've worked out and I'm kind of excited about it, but I can't get started because I can't decide exactly how I want to go. But it's a, a account of a young Edgar Allan Poe when he's 15 in Richmond, Virginia, where he lived and incorporating some things that happened in Edgar Allan Poe's life with his stories to give him the opportunity to have some supernatural things happen as a 15 year old that would then, if you know anything about his stories, you'll go, oh, that's where the black cat came from, or that's where the cask of Amontillado came from, or that's where the idea from this came from. But I'll just kind of squeeze it all into one summer so he can have these 13 episodes and uh, make it very much young adult friendly. So it's dark, I always will, and, and young adults, they love, you can get as dark as you want. I think that's not a problem. I will probably put it a little bit different language because it's, to me, it bugs me when you use modern language and older timepieces. So I don't, I'm not gonna drop the, F, the F-bomb. I'm not gonna have that kind of language. So it'll be actually be very appropriate in that regard. And he'll have two sidekicks. He's got to have a raven. He's got to have a black cat. And they're yeah. gonna, you know, be with them to do things. I won't give away a whole lot there, but. And I'm debating whether or not I might want to try this out first. I've never used any kind of ep- episodic release of writing like Vela in Amazon. And I'm thinking, why not just try it and see what happens if you can get a following of, of readers? They're very, though, restrictive about what you can do. So I think it'd take a year. I'd, if I did it on Vela, I'd have to wait before I could put it in the podcast. I'm not sure if I want to wait or not. So I'm, I'm in this stage of debating. But I know one way or another, there's going to be a story of Edgar, young Edgar Allan Poe. So that's that's what's going to be on the horizon for me. Oh, I can't wait for that. The F word's Anglo-Saxon. I bet I bet Edgar dropped a few F bombs. He's back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's not, yeah that so sounds great. Some uh, education. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some education on the the F word in one of the episodes. <laughs> well, right. David, how yeah. can people keep up with you? You can find davidallenvoyles.com and usually David Allen Voyles on Instagram and Twitter. I need to be better at my social media like uh, many people, but uh, and I'll put other just kind of fun things. I do have too, and I invite people to join me on Facebook for the Dark Corners Facebook group. It's open to the public. It's usually, it's more humorous than anything else. It's just quick little things. But in a time when there's, we're so driven by dark topics in reality, it's fun to do the fantasy dark, dark topics and have no politics, just fun dark you know, horror stuff. So 
Dark Corners in Facebook and then David Allen Borles in the other places, but davidallenborles.com. Awesome. Well, it's a pleasure, both of you. And no, uh, thank you. Yeah, it's been yeah, fun. Yeah. This is fun. fun. Yeah, it's good to see you all through the screen. It's anyway. so fun. You're welcome back anytime. We love repeat guests and, you know, listeners start to get excited. Thanks for listening to the Indie Writer Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. And please remember to share and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone. And happy writing. Bye.